following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. This evening's lesson is taken from Exodus 32, verses 1 to 24. I'll give you a few moments to to find it in your Bibles. I'm going to be reading from the NIV version. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered round Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us, As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge their revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and worshipped it and have said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn among them, and then I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favour of the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and I will bring your descendants all this land I promised them and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. 
The tablets were the work of the Lord. The writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, There is a sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, It is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf they had made and burnt it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewellery, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hi everyone, I'm Seth. You've probably all seen me playing the guitar at the 6.30 before and contrary to popular belief, I can talk as well as sing. Um, it's great to have you with us uh, online this evening. In our evening services since January, we've been working through the book of Exodus. We've read about a God who sees and hears his people Israel in their slavery. We've heard this God's very name, a God who is and forever will be. We've listened to God call and send out Moses to set his people free from Egypt. And we've followed the Israelites through the Red Sea from tyranny to freedom. And finally, we've received the liberating gift of God's law with them. A story then of a good people set free. Sadly, we're about to shatter that illusion. Because in our chapter, something has gone drastically wrong. And, and this is really the first time we've encountered this. Up until now, the Israelites have largely been depicted as victims of deep injustice, waiting for God to save them. Admittedly, they have also had moments of fickleness. For example, after Pharaoh doubled their workload, uh, or before they received manna in the wilderness. So in February, Aaron told us that, that this is somewhat of a motif in Exodus. The Israelites have a tendency to give in to fear and doubt and let those emotions cloud their judgment. But what we've read today is different. Um, it should make you feel uncomfortable. It should leave a bad taste in your mouth. It should, it should turn your stomach. The Israelites in our reading today have replaced their saving God with a golden calf. So hold on, let, let me summarise what's happened here. The Israelites have been led out of Egypt by Moses. They have been provided for in the desert by God. In the last two sermons, Philip and Aaron uh, have taken us through the, the Ten Commandments. We follow Moses, um, the intermediary between Israel and the Lord, up the mountain. 
we witness God give him the law. But hold on, because barely a moment later, we're, we're dragged right back down the mountain to, to hear the Israelites petition Aaron, come, make us gods who will go before us. And so, of course, Aaron complies. He melts their gold jewellery into the shape of a calf. And just like we've just been doing, the people begin to sing songs to it, worshipping the God that brought them, brought them out of Egypt. So God, uh, of course, urgently sends Moses back down the mountain, both of them furious, the stone tablets thrown away and destroyed. And God only relents from destruction at Moses' request. This then is the story we're talking about today. The golden calf episode is a catastrophe. It is a betrayal of trust that shatters the relationship that God has been building over the last 32 chapters. I want to be really clear for a moment because this is not your story. You've not indulged in revelry today and I did not melt down my wedding ring this morning and cast it into the shape of a little pig. No, this is the story of Israel. An ancient civilization of which we are not part, and we must be really careful to treat it as such, not appropriating the slavery or the exodus or the golden calf for ourselves. On another level, uh, this actually is our story and certainly does pertain to us. The reason why I think we ought to shiver as we read it is because we all experience sin in our lives in some form or another. And Exodus 32 is right now projecting a proverbial golden calf of sin right into your living room. Look, we're living through a a time of heightened uncertainty and anxiety and panic and fear. Uh, Is anyone making a farmyard animal out of stockpile toilet roll? No, of course we're not. But how quickly did we forget the impact of our actions on others as we ran for that final packet of gluten-free tagliatelle? How easy is it to hide ourselves away in our comfortable homes, learning Swedish on Duolingo and forgetting about the old lady next door who who can't leave her house to buy bread? A few weeks ago, Logan told us that the Exodus event is a melody that echoes through every corridor of human existence. If this is true, then I suppose the golden calf catastrophe is its discordant harmony that does likewise. So then... This is a talk about sin, because that's what the golden calf is. But much more than that, this is a talk about God, about his law, about his mercy and about his grace. And I will get to Jesus in the end. So with that in mind, I'd like to talk to you about this passage under three headings. Uh, Number one, um, what sin is. Number two, what sin does. And number three, how God responds to sin. What sin is, what sin does and how God responds to the Israelites from the golden calf. So firstly, uh, what sin is, and we'll particularly be looking at verse four as we talk about this. At the beginning of March, Logan preached to us on the Exodus event itself and how vital it was that the Israelites remember the promises of God in order to trust him. And I think in our passage, they, they simply forget. And it's this forgetting that breaks the trust between them and God. And it's this that seems to be the root of their sin. So I think they forget uh, two main things in this passage. I think they forget, one, who God is. And I think they forget, two, what God has done for them. They forget who God is. They forget what God has done. So we'll we'll read verse four together. Uh, You might want to open your Bibles and um, follow along with me. Uh, Verse four says, Aaron took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said... 
this is your God, Israel. So look, the Israelites have forgotten who God is. This is your God, Israel. No, it's not. It's a shiny cow. But the Israelites have forgotten this. It's only been three months since they left Egypt. Only three months later, Israel has forgotten that the Lord is the great I am, the ever burning bush, the promise to be with his people. So Paul reinterprets this in his letter to the Romans. Uh, much later, he, he writes, um, people exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like humans and birds and animals. Paul leaves us here in no doubt that this exchange is to blame for their lack of love and fidelity and understanding. Let's come back to verse four again. Let's read it again. Uh, verse four says, Aaron made, made it into a calf. And then they say, this is your God Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. This is your God Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Not only have the people forgotten who God is, the people have forgotten what God has done for them. Was it this burnished bovine delivered them from slavery and took them into the promised land? No, of course it wasn't. But they start worshipping it as if it were. They ascribe the works of God's hand to the work of their own hand. What, why? Why have they done this? And I think if we go back to verse one, I think this tells us why exactly they've made this decision. Verse one says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down the mountain, they say, we don't know what has happened to Moses. The people clearly are impatient and anxious. They're living through unprecedented times. They want an easy way out. They want control over their own destiny. And I, I guess who, who wouldn't? Only in this case, it leads them to abandoning the God who has come through for them and their ancestors so many times already. Look, what is the actual sin of the Israelites here? It is that the people of God forget who God is and what God has done for them in their hour of uncertainty. And so they shatter the relationship of trust between them and God. How quickly they forget when the going gets tough, when the territory is new and mysterious, when the future is unclear. So first, uh, that was what sin is. We've talked about what sin is, and now um, I'm going to move on to talk about what sin does. What sin is, what sin does, looking particularly at verses 2 and 3, 9 and 20. Um, in this passage, I, I think I read two main hints from the author about the consequences of the golden calf catastrophe. The, ac the actions of the Israelites do two things. Um, it, it makes them return to slavery and it transforms their very nature. It makes them return to slavery, transforms their very nature. Again, uh, Logan reminded us a few weeks ago that God had promised in Genesis 15, uh, a long time before the slavery, to free Israel from slavery and to give them great possession. And of course, we've read earlier in, in the term, God follows through on this promise. So let's read verse two of our passage again. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. And he made it into an idol. So this people was an enslaved people. Where do you suppose an enslaved people acquired gold earrings, gold jewellery? Uh, well, we've been told this already. God followed through on his promise in Genesis by plundering the Egyptians of their gold. 
What a sickening irony this is that this very gold is now melted down and transformed into a cow to be worshipped. The symbol of their divine rescue has become the form of their self-inflicted slavery. Paul um, in Romans 6 begs the church in Rome to realise that everybody is a slave to something, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. And I think particularly that is what the author of Exodus is hinting at. The Israelites, in abandoning their God, have turned back to Egypt. They've plundered themselves, except they're no longer slaves to Pharaoh. Oh no, they're slaves to a gold statue of their own creation. And Paul would say that they are slaves to sin. The second consequence uh, of the golden calf catastrophe is that the idolatry transforms the Israelites. And this is a more profound point that the passage doesn't say explicitly. But let's finally hear what, what God has to say to Moses in verse 9 of the passage. Verse 9, God says, I have seen these people and they are a stiff necked people. Now, I don't know about you. But I've never used the word stiff-necked to describe someone before or to describe anything before. What does God mean? Why is God using this funny language? The Israelites, I think, would immediately understand, as would any agricultural society, a stiff-necked ox is a stubborn and rebellious animal of little use to the farmer. And so the author has God directly identify the people of Israel with the very idol that they have turned to worship. God is calling them cows, effectively. Uh, Moses, um, in his anger, takes this further in verse 20. Moses uh, took the calf that the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to a powder, scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. What a really weird thing to do. Uh, thankfully, of course, for their sake, for the Israelites' sake, gold is chemically inert and so shouldn't have caused them any permanent damage. But the illustration that the author and Moses is trying to convey is that the act of worshipping the golden calf has transformed the people into a golden calf. This, this is all a profound motif in the Bible, that, that humans grow to resemble who or what they worship. The author of Psalm 115 laments those who make idols that cannot see or uh, speak or see or hear or smell. And he says, those who make them, that is the idols, those who make them and those who trust in them will be like them. The claim across scripture then is that when we ascribe ultimate worth to an inanimate thing, our fundamental humanity begins to disintegrate. Our senses become stifled, our relationships get broken, and we are cut off from the source of life himself. A long time after the golden calf, is, uh, sorry, Isaiah boldly told the leaders of Israel that in worshipping blind and deaf idols, they were themselves becoming blind and deaf. And make no mistake, this is a real phenomenon that is applicable to us too. If I make financial security my ultimate focus, especially in this time of um, this climate of anxiety, then I will become unfeeling and deaf towards those who need my help, financial or otherwise. If I derive my peace at the moment from my good health and fitness in the midst of this coronavirus plague, that I will become blind and immune to the pain and suffering of others. We, we transform into what we worship. And we all worship something. If we're not turning into 
inanimate cows, then it'll be something else. It'll be, it'll be vapid fame or empty success. But there's good news somewhere here. Paul, again in Romans, says that sin is slavery and death, but there is another way. If we become like what we worship, is there a way to freedom and life? And to understand this, I think we need to look at how God responds to the golden calf catastrophe. So finally, how God responds. We've looked at what sin is. We've looked at what sin does. And finally, how does God respond to this sin? We read um, immediately in verse 10 that God has a burning anger. Uh, This is that he longs to see the flourishing of his people. And he grieves that they have turned to worship and emulate things that are dead. He tells Moses he wants a great nation and that these people just aren't it. He, he should go f- as far as to actually destroy them. But something stays his hand. Moses, here in this passage, seeks the favour of the Lord by reminding him that he had made a promise to this people. And at this, God relents. So do you remember me earlier talking about Israel forgetting God or, or forgetting the promises of God? Well, where Israel forgets, God himself remembers God desperately wants Israel to be like him. He remembers that he promised this very thing to them. And ultimately, God's response is mercy. Of course, the story, as we all know, the story doesn't end there. Over hundreds of years, the Israelites repeatedly came back to uh, the proverbial golden calf. The, The poets in the Psalms lament its sin. The author of Kings dismays at its return. And Isaiah the prophet condemns its idolatry. But God's mercy remains every time. He continues to stay with this broken people in the hope that they might become more like God, loving and caring and just. It's not only about the Israelites. Echoes of the golden calf can be heard even now. Yes, certainly in those who, for example, have exploited the coronavirus crisis for financial gain or used it as an excuse for racism, whatever. But also in me and you, in small ways, you know, my grandma will be fine without a phone call for another few days. Oh, perfect. Look, the last packet of strong white bread flour for me to make bread. Or I need to make, my, make sure my finances are, are secure before I ask how anyone else's are. Look, basically, there needs to be a way by which we, humans who all too often have all the virtue of a farmyard animal, can once again start to become like God. Ultimately, God's mercy incarnates itself as the man, Jesus. Last week, we all, and Christians all around the world, celebrated Easter when God came down the mountain, not to destroy Israel, or no, not to destroy humans, but to die himself on a cross and return to life on Easter morning. What mercy, then, that, that God destroys the power of the golden calf and gives us, instead, a new spirit which empowers us to worship him with our whole being Being united with him in this death and resurrection, as Paul says in Romans 6, makes us like him simply because that's how worship works. So as I end, I would like to share this good news with you this evening, particularly if you don't consider yourself to follow Jesus. God wants you to be like him. God wants you to be like him. And in his mercy has made this possible. So this, then, is the good news of the golden calf. God always intended that Israel reflect the goodness and love of God. His mercy shown in the work of Jesus Christ permits even us 
the not Israel to become like God too. And so let me pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for what we've learnt today. Please, uh, in our worship today of you, well, we thank you that you have made a way for us to come and worship you. Please, as we sing our songs of worship um, and lift up prayers to you, would you make us more like you and Jesus Christ, your risen son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.